Hi, everybody. Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. I trust that my voice is better. I got a couple of worried emails last week from people saying, we could still hear that COVID is lingering. We hope you're feeling better. So um, when all you have is my voice, I guess my voice gives me away. I'm feeling really great, deep into Passover cleaning. My nails are shot and all the usual. But um, I didn't want to miss having this week's podcast. Not sure about next week, got to be totally honest about what will be happening in the middle of Passover. But um, I'm really happy with who uh, I have on this week, Adele Reamer. You know, every once in a while, like most of the people I meet at this stage of my life, I'm like, hi, nice to know you and whatever. Um, it's hard enough keeping keeping close to, to my old friends. And every once in a while, I meet somebody that I'm like, I really like this person. I want this person to stay a part of my life. And that's exactly what happened with Adele um, a few months ago, maybe it was even a year ago, I can't remember, maybe she can. Um, the One Israel Fund was doing a campaign with Hakubia, the uh, games importer, like some of the most popular games here in Israel. And we were doing a one plus one, they were matching whatever we were raising in order to give out games around Gaza to the communities there who had just had, you know, like a, a really bad wave of rockets and, and terror and sitting in, in uh, bomb shelters. Just wanted to do something for the kids. So a mutual friend connected me with Adele who lives there. You'll hear her story in a second in Kibbutz Nirim. And we met and she gave up the toys. And every day she's sending me little videos of the kids playing in all the different communities. And she ran around and they came to her and it was really something. And then a few weeks ago, and she and I will talk about that, we had this interesting experience of being on a panel together and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. So without further ado, and today, by the way, is April 11th, 2022, the 10th day of Nisan, 5782, a beautiful spring day in Israel. Adele, thank you so much for joining me today on Rejuvenation. Thank you for having me, especially on Aliyah Day. That's right. And that's something that we both did. So that's a perfect lead in. Why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about yourself, a little bit of your story? So I was born in the Bronx and grew up there. Uh, I was part of um, Young Judea Youth Movement and went to the camps and went was, was active uh, during the year as well. Um, I got my Zionism from my uncle. And... Uh, Why, was he involved in Israel? Was he living here? My uncle wanted to live here, but he never did. Uh-huh. Raised a very Zionist family, including Gil Troy, who you may have heard of. Oh, I love Gil. I've interviewed him and he's actually on my list to interview in the future. He's wonderful. So he's my cousin and I, father, I, I got my Zionism from his father and, and, and that family. His wow. Father, his father is my mother's sister. That's fantastic. I had no idea that that's a great cousin to have. He's really a very special person. Yeah, super, super smart. Yeah. But I was the pioneer of the family, and I came to live in Israel. And after following your course, I went on your course for my gap year, and then the gap year got gapped bigger. <laughs> you so, fell into the gap, yeah, as the commercial used to go. 73, and I came back in August 73 to the States. And then, of course, the Yom Kippur War broke out. And I said, well, what am I doing in the States? Israel needs me. So I made Aliyah on my own to Kibbutz Ketura, uh, which had just become a kibbutz. It was like three months after being handed over from the army to the kibbutz, from being mm -hmm. a Nahal uh, outpost to being a civilian community. And I was there for two years. 
I was For those who are not familiar with the map of Israel, although most of my listeners are very familiar, I know the Kibbutz Keturah is in the Arava, north of Eilat, on the very eastern side of Israel. And it's actually where one of my favorite trees grows because the Methuselah tree, and I think Hannah's there also, the ancient dates, I did a show on this a while back, guys, the ancient dates that were germinated from seeds on in Masada and in the area. Holloway, Dr. Elaine Holloway did that. That's right. And they, I mean, it's like, we've talked about this Jurassic Park meets modern day Israel. And we now have these ancient dates that have just, they were extinct and now they're not anymore. So something like the Jewish people themselves, we were never extinct, but we were like on the verge of, but in the right conditions, we've lost them again. Anyhow, so that's Keturah, associated with the conservative movement, very special kibbutz. But why kibbutz? Like for, I'm sure my listeners know, kibbutz is like the ideal way of socialism where everyone lives and works together and and nobody earns a salary theoretically, and everybody just does what they can for the collective. It's kind of falling apart in the 21st century for a lot of reasons. But why did you go to kibbutz? Because you were single and alone, and that was the way to do it. You'd had a home. No, so I was when I was on Young Judean Year Course. We were six months of our year course was on a kibbutz. It was on in Harod, and I just fell in love with kibbutz. Mm-hmm. Like I, I always said, my dream. When I grow up, I want to live someplace where I can open the door and see green. Okay. And that was kibbutz. And I loved the idea of kibbutz. And of course, our um, when I was on your course, our counselors were from the Gurin, from the group of people that were founding Torah. Wow. And it inspired me. So I wanted to go there and be a pioneer, mm-hmm. Torah, which, which I did. Yeah. And it wasn't easy. We were no. like... A small group of people, and, and we had air conditioning because any place in the Araba has to have air conditioning. Very but good. other than that, the, the conditions were very, very threadbare. And but but we were a group and, and it was we were together and we were deciding things together, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I, when I went uh, when I when I was in the middle of my army service, I became I decided that. Keturah was not the kibbutz for me. I wanted to be someplace where there were fewer Americans, more right. Israelis. I wanted to be more Israeli. Mm-hmm. And because I was in the middle of my army service, I couldn't just move any place. Right. I had to go someplace that the army would agree for me to finish my service on. And uh, that's how I got to Kibbutz Nirim, which is on the border with the Gaza Strip. It was on the border with the Gaza Strip then too. Mm-hmm. It was a very different border then. It was a quiet right. border. Um, and there weren't, I did not come to live in a war zone. Right. Um, but so you have stayed. I have stayed because, yeah. So it, it was quiet. It's been quiet. It had been quiet here until around, I, th- I believe we got our first, so this was, sorry. I moved here in 1975 to Kibbutz and we started getting rockets in in about 2006. Mm-hmm. After Stirot started getting rockets, after Israel left Gaza, and yeah, in 2005, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I was all in favor of Israel pulling mm-hmm. out of Gaza. I wanted Gaza to control themselves. I wanted. I still, I, I was just on a, a clubhouse room uh, talking there. And I said, I would love there to be a Palestinian state. And we could be friends that we could work mm-hmm. with. Like we work, I mean, we can be really good neighbors. 
And if there were a Palestinian state with leaders, I mean, I was arguing with a person there who said, how can you say Palestine doesn't exist? I said, well, there is no Palestine. There's, you know, you can define yourself as Palestinian and that's fine. Just like I define myself as Zionist and Israeli and, and Jewish. But if there's a Palestinian state, show me the borders, show me your leaders. The money, the currency, everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you need a couple of things in order to be a, a country. Mm-hmm. A state. So like that didn't work. But anyway, so I was all in favor of it, of, of pulling out because it, it was horrible. They were sending so many people over to guard so few people. I said, brothers and sisters, come home. Come are you home. talking about the Jews who were living in Gaza? Yeah, come <laughs> home to Israel proper. And unfortunately, I feel that we did it the wrong way. It was unilateral. And I feel that uh, we could have done it like in retrospect, which is, of course, 2020. I think it should have been done differently. But mm-hmm. that's all um, just theoretical now and not right. going to help anything. Anyway, so I came to live here and I got married and I had two children and then I got divorced and I got married again um, and I had another child and, and he brought his child into the marriage. So we had a, my kids and your kids are beaten up on thing. And, um, and, and I stayed, all my kids were born here. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband was buried here. My parents were buried here. My husband, unfortunately, uh, suffered from bipolarity and committed suicide in 2008, uh, a month before our first Gaza war, Oferet uh, um cast lead. Right, cast lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my husband is buried here and this is my home. And, and, and why would I not stay? Where would I go? Ashkelon has rockets. Beersheba gets rockets. Beersheba just had a terror attack the other day. Tel Aviv gets terror attacks. Jerusalem gets terror attacks and everybody gets rockets and you go up north and they get rockets. And they, I mean, it's a small country. You can't keep running. Mm-hmm. I could go back home. America gets terror, France gets terror. I mean, there's terror all over the place. It is the reality of, of our times. So I'm, I'm not one to run. I grew up in the Bronx. They didn't <laughs> raise me to run. <laughs> I, I live where I live. Do what I can to make where I live better. Have your kids stayed with you? Where you are? Uh, so I have one daughter who has is raising her family on Nirim. And I have one daughter who has uh, three kids and live on Kibbutz Ruhama, which is also in the Western Negev, but just on the other side of uh, Stirot. And I, my stepson and son live in Tel Aviv. Mm-hmm. Do you worry about they're, them? They're all in Israel. They're all yep. in Israel, but... Uh, not all on the border. So, I mean, some people might have actually heard of you. They might have been Del Reamer, Del Reamer. That name sounds familiar because it could be that some of my listeners actually follow you. You have a website called Life on the Border. So tell us, and if they don't, then maybe they'll start now. So tell us a little bit about how you got involved with not just living there, but explaining to people or trying to, you know, illuminate for people what life is like where you're living. Okay, so in um, it, it's not a website; it's a Facebook group. Okay, and in 
so for the first round of violence that I experienced here in 2008-9, uh, because I had just been through this traumatic um, loss, your husband I did suicide. not have the, where my, the, my husband's uh, suicide. I did not have the wherewithal to remain behind in a war zone with no place safe to be. Because where I live, we have zero to 10 seconds to take cover when the incoming rocket warning sounds. And um, we did not have safe rooms at the time. So we just had to figure out a safe place. Each person had to figure out a safe place in their house with no external walls or windows where they could take cover when there's incoming rockets. So for that round, I evacuated. I went to be at my friend's house in, in Yafo. Um, but after that, uh, the government of Israel realized that um, with zero to 10 seconds, you have to have someplace safe to be in order to be able to live so close to Gaza. So they invested billions of dollars and built safe rooms on every house within four kilometers of the border. And that widened out to seven kilometers of the border. So in 2012, when we were, I already had my safe room, I was already emotionally uh, strengthened. Um, mm -hmm. And we had um, a period of escalation. So now there, there have been four Gaza wars operations, but even between these operations, there are periods where there are peaks of violence, where there are peaks of rocket fire. Um, and we were going through one of those peaks at the time uh, when I, I was on a Skype call to my cousin in New York. And I said, you know, it's crazy. I keep running back and forth to my safe room. And he said, really, we don't hear anything about that here. And so that pissed me off. <laughs> and so I went into my safe room and cracked open my laptop and uh, opened up a Facebook group called Life on the Border with Gaza. Things people may not know, but should. I don't know why I thought a long name like that was appropriate. But if you look, <laughs> on the border, if you look for Life on the Border with Gaza Facebook group, you will find it. Um, and, and my original dream for this group was to get people on both sides of the border active was to get people who speak different languages because I wanted to um, convey life here to people who don't live here so that they could understand. So I thought maybe people from our area who speak Spanish and French and, and all other languages could also interact there. Then I realized that it would just be a Tower of Babel. So the Facebook group is in English. It is only about life on the border and I do have people from Gaza, people who live in Gaza on the group. They're mostly quiet. They don't talk a lot, but, but I do have connections with people who live on the other side of the border because mm -hmm. I do believe that most people on the other side just want the same things that I do. They want to have put food on their table and, and have health care for their children and to be able to educate them. Um, and I believe that they're held captive by the Hamas just like I am. Um, so, and I do believe in interacting with them. And I have done, um, I, I'm especially in touch with people who uh, run something there called the Gaza Youth Committee. And these are people who believe that life could be different there and life should be different there. And they do what they can to educate children to the, fa to, to the fact that Israelis 
are not Satan, that Israelis do not have horns. Israelis do not want to kill them. Um, How does that go for them there? Are they in some danger for doing that? Or there's a space for them to be able to do that even under Hamas? So the people that I know of Mm -hmm. have some sort of, I believe, familial connection to Hamas, which to a certain extent protects them. However, um, they have gotten in trouble a few times. Mm -hmm. One of my friends has been jailed and tortured uh, for months at a time. Um, and so, but, but, the, but every time he comes out, he, he comes back and he says, I'm continuing with it because this is my life and I'm not willing to give in. I'm not willing to stop. So like the, the, they try, what happened was I wasn't on this call. They did Skype with your enemy. They did a call like that where there were Jews and, and, Palestinians, Gazans, from mm-hmm. in Samaria, from like all over on the call. And one of the people on the call ratted them out. She was a journalist and she ratted them out. And this got them in a lot of trouble and, and in jail, as I said, for months. Wow. Mm-hmm. And just mention, even though I'm sure all my listeners know this, that's not a fear that you have in, as an Israeli. I mean, people might disagree with you or think that you're naive, but it's sweet or whatever it is, but you don't have to worry that somebody's going to arrest you because you tried to have dialogue with people living in an enemy country. I think that's an important distinction to make. I don't I don't think that people appreciate enough. Maybe we as Israelis don't appreciate enough living in a free society as opposed to the fierce society and how I mean, what you're doing here and looking and finding the for and looking for and finding the good people there whose problem isn't Israel. Their problem is their own society. And uh, wow, how tenuous that is and how brave they are. In fact, I do. I, I donated. I've donated money to things that they do there. And at the beginning mm-hmm. of last year, after following Guardian of the Walls, I did to do a project to supply children with backpacks and school supplies so that they can go to school because a lot of these people don't have money to supply this for their kids. And right. I donated to that that project because he asked me to. And I said I will. But will the children know? that it is somebody from Israel. Right. The children know that people from, from Israel, Jews from Israel, Jews from America are contributing to this. And he said, absolutely. And I trust him. Wonderful. Um, if I could have sent him some of the games, I would have loved it. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been interesting to have Settlers and Dixit being played in Jabalia. <laughs> yeah. We, Maybe we one day. <laughs> We did a bike marathon in 2019, which also got them in trouble after that, where uh, Jews on our side and kids on their side, like uh, youth on our side and youth on their side, rode, biked along the border on the same day, wearing the same shirt that said freedom, peace. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was trying to organize a communal choir where kids in my school and kids in their school would sing the song, There Must Be a Better Way by Miri Awad and Achino Amnini. Mm-hmm. The song that's sung in English and Hebrew and Arabic saying that we don't have to be enemies. We don't have to fight. There has to be a better way. Um, but that was nipped in the bud due to danger on their side. So as you said, we have freedom of peace of speech in Israel. And not only do we have freedom of speech that allows me to 
talk to people in Gaza. We have freedom of speech that allows me to talk, to, to argue with my government because I don't agree with everything that Israel does. Mm-hmm. And when I don't agree, I go out and say it. Right. I've made TikToks and I've made YouTubes and I've made, I, I say it when, mm-hmm. when I'm at odds when what is going on when I don't agree with what my government is doing. But that's democracy. And it's rare. Uh, sometimes I really, I really believe that, especially the United States, but not only, definitely Europe, um, don't appreciate those freedoms. And we live in a part of the world where this is the only country that has those freedoms. Maybe one or two countries in in Africa, maybe maybe one, and I can't think of it right now in South America. I mean, the vast majority of the world do not people in the world do not live in societies that allow them to do that. And uh, and I think it's amazing. And that's look, that's part of the reason that I wanted to talk to you today and you know to have my listeners hear you because look, politically, we disagree. I was against the disengagement. Um, I love what you're doing. I wish it was effective, but I'm I'm not sure that it is. It is effective for the people's souls and it needs to be done and it's hugely important. But on a bigger picture, when their leadership are flat out terrorists. And when they're living in a society, which is, you know, just just is says they want to destroy Israel. I mean, they don't even make any bones about it, Hamas. Then uh, then it's going to be very, very difficult to have anything change. But people people need to live, you know, with their with their heads looking around and seeing what's really happening. But we also need to do something that makes us feel good about human humanity. And that's what you're doing. And that, I think, is so, so incredibly important. So a few couple. You asked me me how I got into this. So in 2012, just before um, Pillows of Smoke. <laughs> One of the operations in Gaza. No, yeah. I don't remember what it's called in English. In Hebrew, it's Amudanan. I don't remember the name. Cla- of it. Um, cla- pillars of pillars of. I it don't. Was, know. It's not uh, word for word, but it was, that was in, <laughs> that yeah. was in uh, 2012, November 2012. So just right. before November 2012, the regional council where I live, Eshkol Regional Council got when we were smelling the winds of war you can feel there's sporadic rocket fire you can feel mm-hmm. things are heating up Attentions. and yeah. they gathered together people who can speak in different languages and they brought down a group who sadly no longer exists called the israel project and they brought them down to train people how to talk to journalists mm-hmm. how to get your message across so i participated in this workshop and they made connections and got me onto something that's called the prime minister's list which means that when something is happening, um, when journalists come and something's happening up north, they'll send him to Moshe Pippik, who lives on the Golan border. And when things are happening in the south and they want journalists want to speak to somebody who speaks English, one of the people they send them to are to- You're on their contact list. Okay. So that's how I started blogging and uh, giving interviews. And I've been doing that I'd already opened up the uh, life on the border Mm -hmm. and maybe that's why they uh, headhunted me to be part of this uh, project. Um, But, but this got me doing it even wider and uh, I just finished. So, so I've been doing this all along and I just finished an eight week program which was so amazing and so inspiring. I'm just so honored to have taken part of it called Voices of Israel, which was uh, organized by Idon Rol, 
who's the uh, vice, the deputy foreign minister of Israel, um, because after the escalation in May, uh, Guardian of the Walls, they realized that when they interview Israelis for the international media, they interview politicians, they interview army people. Mm -hmm. When they interview people from Gaza, they interview people from Gaza. Right. The Hamas do not get on the media and talk. No. They have that emotional, real people side, and we've got the people in uniforms. So, so they, that's when they realized that they want to get a group together and train us to be able to talk to the media. So it's basically what I did in one little workshop, and they expanded it to an eight-week program, oh, eight amazing. weeks in a row. I had to go up to De Jerusalem, which was traumatic to me because I hate driving that much. <laughs> But I did it because it was totally worth it. I went on Wednesday evening, slept over at my cousin's house, Gil. Yeah. And then went and in the morning went to this amazing program where they talked about history. They they talked about getting your message across. They talked about, they, they taught us, they gave us a whole toolbox. First of all, the connections between us mm -hmm. as connections for the foreign ministry. This was done in the foreign ministry building. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. There's so often I hear from people, you know, Israel's PR is terrible and then, and then, and it's not what it could be, but it's also not as bad as people make it out to be. And there's certain things that we just can't control. When the Guardian has a, uh, a headline, as they did for the Tel Aviv terror incident last week, something along the lines of Israelis kill an Arab after a Tel Aviv shootout, yeah. which has nothing to do with what really happened. Israel can't control that. But I'm so happy that you did that program. Wow. So, so this is, um, they, they got over, they got hundreds of applications and they picked 19 people from mm -hmm. all around the country. Shockingly, I was amazed to find out that I am the only one from the Gaza envelope from the Western Negev. Really? Because they took people from all around the country. They have people from Matula, they have people from, they have, uh, they have religious and secular Jews and uh, Druze and Bedouin Arab. And really, a, they, they didn't get to get somebody from all of the different, like there was no, no Ethiopian. Right. Or other, but this is just the first. And they're going to be doing more of these. Fantastic. And, uh, and we're in touch now. And I started, I changed my name on my TikTok to Zionist on the border. And I'm doing TikToks and I'm doing more Instagrams and, uh, and we'll see where it takes us. It's um, the, the Bedouin Arab who lives in, um, in the North is being sent to Poland for Holocaust day to talk at the ceremony about Holocaust Day through the eyes of a Bedouin. Amazing. Wow. She's, she's amazing. She's such an inspiring. Uh, it just brought tears to my All the people, all the people it's there. Incredible. There are so many inspiring people there. It, it's mm -hmm. just. Well I, hope, well, I hope the journalists are honest, which is sometimes an oxymoron. And 
go to you, you know, go to the people that were trained here and don't have an agenda of trying to make Israel look bad, not wanting to hear the truth, not really wanting to prevent to present Israel's side. So they just, you know, they go to somebody that they know will give them the story that is what they want to have appear. Uh, so that's that's really that's really great to hear. I'm so glad, you know, um, so my listeners know a couple of weeks ago I did this because I was so upset. I spoke about it on my podcast that I did this uh, panel with that college in America. Well, you don't know, everybody is that Adele was I, with me. I got you on it, honey. <laughs> it was me. Adele was the one who wrote to them. They said, we're looking for someone on the right. And Adele isn't. She was considered like the centrist Israeli. And uh, and she suggested me and pulled me in. And the two of us had, let's just say, a high blood pressure evening. <laughs> and Adele presented uh, what I thought was a really beautiful little film about, you know, how, running into the shelters and all the chaos and everything was met with zero empathy, I felt, from the side of the other panelists, for sure, and the kids as well. Um, which was, and then I had my own thing that was going on there because, you know, I was the, whatever. It was, uh, it was quite an interesting evening. <laughs> it was, it was. I, I had a similar experience yesterday, actually. I, um, I was debating Gershon Baskin, who's well known in Israel. He was part of the people who were in touch with Hamas to get, get Gilad Shalit out. And we were in front of a group of, of Jewish kids from Nativ yesterday, um, and I mean, I haven't shared with Adele yet and I haven't shared with you guys yet also, but one of the things that I brought up because everybody was making excuses for the Arab terror, oh, they're so subjugated and it's horrible, which is what was happening the night with Adele and myself as well. Well, of course they're shooting out of Gaza. They're so subjugated and they have such a terrible life. They have no other choice. But um, one of the things that I spoke about was, you know, you can tell a whole a society by how they react to things like this and how disturbing it was that while people were getting killed in Tel Aviv, in, in Gaza and in different Arab cities, they were handing out candies. And some of the kids said to me, they were just doing that to break the Ramadan fast. That had nothing to do with their joy. I could not believe it. And what did Gershon say? He didn't say anything. Now, it's hard for me to be rendered speechless. My listeners know this. Okay, I, okay. On the, at Thursday at nine o'clock at night, they broke their fast with candies. They never break their fast with candies. It was two and a half hours after the fast had ended. They didn't do it on Wednesday or on Friday. And they've done it when it's not Ramadan and there's other terror acts. And these kids, these Jewish kids who there is like no excuse that they can't find for the enemy. They're just so completely identified with the enemy. And this is what they were saying was take it out of context. And I, it was this, you know, this this advocacy stuff, stuff is hard, Adele. I mean, I really, you know, my main thing is tour guiding. I seem to have gotten dragged back into some of the ag advocacy stuff now, and I know that it's needed, and I know that it's important to do. But um, I, I really, I give you a lot of credit because uh, it, it's not simple, and some of the lies are so egregious, and, and some of the twisting of history is just beyond belief. So, so you you do it so well because you know so much of the history. You just like have it on the tip of your tongue and just it rolled out at that panel. You were amazing. That's I do not know how to do that. I do not have all these facts and figures in my head. I know how to talk my life. I know how to talk my beliefs. But what you do, I take my hat off to you. Oh, thank you. I think we were a good team that night. And I would I would be delighted to do it again, because we don't agree on some of the major issues. But I think we both have that human face of Israelis and of mothers, you know, and of just wanting 
everybody to live peacefully. I mean, we don't want anybody to be hurt. We want everyone to have a good life. Different opinions on how to get there yeah. and how much to trust the other side. But um, but that's Israel. I mean, we all have to. You know, that, that's politics. Mm-hmm. That's politics. But, but I truly believe that everybody here in politics, whether you're on the right or the left, I believe that we all have Israel's Israel to heart and we want the best thing for Israel. We just believe that there are different ways. Of right. And we want the best thing for our neighbors also. Yeah. We know we live in a region. Yes. We don't, we're not, we want to control anybody. We don't want to do it. We want everyone to have a good life. Yeah. Uh, but again, how, how do we get there is, uh, is the uh, in my opinion, it's, it's all about education. And I'll, when, during, um, uh, Suketan during the 2014 war, Mm-hmm. Um, one of the interviews that I gave was opposite a mother from Gaza. It was for, I don't remember which international channel it was. It was uh, uh, on the radio and I was live. She was not because they were having electricity cuts. Mm-hmm. So they had recorded her in the morning and I, I heard what she was saying. And she was saying, one of my children asked me, Mommy, why did God, why did Allah put uh, Israelis in, in the world? And without missing a beat, the sibling said, so they could make us into shaheeds, so they could make us into martyrs. Oh and goodness. what I said on, on, on the, that radio show, I said, what I'm missing, the piece that I'm missing in this story is what did their mother answer? What did she tell them? Right. Did she say, I'm raising you to be martyrs and that's the ultimate thing to do? Or did she act how I would hope a normal mother would act and do absolutely anything, anything to prevent that from happening? You know, one of the things yesterday when Gershon Baskin was talking about how he negotiated with Hamas to to get Gilad Shalit out. And I said flat out that I thought that was one of the worst things that Israel ever did was exchanging for Gilad Shalit over a thousand terrorists. And I said, don't get me wrong, you know, and his father just passed away from cancer, Noam Shalit. And I'm sure that what his son went through affected his health. I mean, how could it not? And I said, don't get me wrong. I would have done whatever Noam and Aviva Shalit did if it was my child. But you don't run a country by, by one set of parents' emotions. You have to look at a big picture. And the fact is, is that letting out those terrorists for Gilad Shalit meant that now we lost a lot of deterrence when it came, comes to terror. Because if you're a terrorist and you're going to jail for life, since Israel doesn't have a death sentence, now what can happen is get some buddies of yours to kidnap a soldier and you'll get let out. So that hurt our deterrence tremendously, plus the fact that many of those terrorists went back and killed other people. So a lot of other blood has been spilled. And now there are many, many other bereaved families because of that deal. Very, very difficult. But I, you know, I felt that the kids needed to hear that side. I don't know you know, if they'd ever heard it. But there's, there's a big picture here. There's us as moms and as just human beings, you know, living here, living with Arabs and Bedouin and Christians all the time. And then there's the bigger picture of the country and, uh, you know, and, and what the what has to be done for the country, which is not always the best thing for the citizens. Sending our children to the army was not the easiest thing we ever did, but it had to be done. And you yourself served. So anyway, Elle, thank you. Uh, I, I really appreciate everything you do. And, and everybody, if you want to, you want to follow her on Facebook, Life on the Border with Gaza. I'm sure, you know, you can be in touch with her as well. And you want to add something, Adele? But if you do, mm-hmm. please answer the questions because I do vet people because I've gotten you all should. sorts of, 
And Great people that wanted to sell Ray-Ban sunglasses and also yeah, yeah, yeah. haters. And so I do vet people. So please do answer the questions. Okay. And, and there's a lot of people. Over 7,000 followers. Amazing. Amazing. And there's a lot of people who listen, I know, who have church programs and synagogue programs and college programs. And maybe, guys, you know, this is a voice that you want to have heard. Or, you know, if you're having a situation with a few different voices, then Adele certainly is an articulate voice um, of, you know, an Israeli living in one of the kibbutzim that backs right up onto Gaza and has lived there for a long, long time with her perspective, um, which is a very important one that's not often enough heard. And as you said, it's usually the army spokesperson who's going to be standing there in front of the camera and not you. So, um, so guys, you can keep that in mind. Adele, thank you so much really for, for everything that you do. And I'm looking forward to either giving out games with you again or appearing on a panel with you again, or yeah, I don't know, maybe just going out for coffee like normal people do. Normal people do. Okay, fantastic. And I don't know why my, my, my watch is ringing, but anyway, everybody, um, if you are celebrating Passover, then it should be great. If you are celebrating Ramadan, that should be working for you as well. Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. Thank you to Tabitha and to Ben. And may things just really be peaceful and quiet. May the uh, may the bad people either, I don't know, disappear or just suddenly decide that it's not worth their while. But we're all going to keep hoping for better times and doing what we can um, to make sure that it happens. And we here in Israel are not going anywhere. So that is the most important thing, not from the Kibbutz Nirim and certainly not from the Judean Hills. So take care, everyone. Eve Harrow, goodbye for now. The question is, why are the Jews there in the first place? The Jewish people have been yearning to return to their ancient homeland for a long time. The Yishai Fleischer Show, the voice of a new generation of pro-Israel activists. And there's only two kinds of minorities in the Middle East, armed or unarmed. Inspiring minds to think differently. That jihadism doesn't just attack Jews. It attacks Christians, and it mostly attacks Muslims. Inspiration, spirituality, and politics. So first and foremost, this country is here to defend Jewish people and to live in its ancestral homeland. Listen to the Yishai Fleischer Show every week on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com.